November 19th, 2013, and this is the Hermetic Hour. I'm your host, Pope Runyon, and tonight we have as our distinguished guest uh, the noted author on subjects arcane and esoteric, John Michael Greer. Now, John's first book, Paths of Wisdom, has been of considerable help to us as an authoritative source in our ongoing series of lectures on the Hermetic Kabbalistic Tree of Life. Now, John is also the translator of the medieval Latin version of Picatrix with Christopher Warnock, which has now become as important in the magical revival as Tyson's Agrippa. And although certainly a hermetic scholar, John Michael Greer's magical heart lies in the Celtic Druidic tradition. And he's written several books in this area, and he's a practicing Druid himself. His latest work combines the hermetic golden dawn and the Druidic traditions, both of which were active in Victorian England. John discovered a historic interchange between these two very British expressions, and he has lovingly reconstructed the synthesis in his book, The Celtic Golden Dawn. So, let's go off to Stonehenge and see how the Druids do a pentagram ritual. Now, this uh, this is a very, very close-to-my-heart kind of a, a program tonight because, um, as you know, Farifaria is also uh, one of my my magical traditions, and Fred Adams was, was my, my magical master. And I, Fred was, was a Robert Graves-type uh, druid. And, 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 of course, Farifaria is, like Robert Graves, a mixture of uh, the, what you might call the uh, druidic tradition and the uh, and ancient Greek uh, mythology, especially the Eleusinian mysteries. And, uh, and so I just really, I just love Farifaria. And, and so uh, the, the idea of the, the druidic uh, uh, tradition, which was the most powerful and the most esoteric tradition in, in pagan Europe, uh, north of the Roman Empire. And uh, the Druids were, were uh, they were awesome in their magic and in their, uh, their religious theological beliefs. Uh, they, they were uh, the Roman. The Romans were terrified of them, and uh, and they, of course, inspired uh, the Celtic, uh, and British, and Irish, and the and the the ancestors of the the, the Welsh, uh, and the Gaels in 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 France. Uh, they inspired these Celtic warriors to. Uh, Present a formidable resistance to Roman conquest, and the Romans, uh, the Romans just, uh, the Romans had contempt for most of the other pagan religions, but but the Druids, they they were they were they were really frightened. The Druidism had a power and a magic that frightened them, and so that tradition is uh, is still alive and and, and well. 
John, are you on the line? I am indeed. Can you hear me? Oh yeah! Can you did, did you uh, hear my my introduction to to? Uh, I, I to did this? indeed. I did indeed. Well, uh, from that uh, point, uh, hand it over to you and tell us tell us about uh, about the, uh, the 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 revival of the Druidic tradition and, and you know and what you've done with it. <laughs> How I found Goddess and what I did to her when I found her. <laughs> So In a certain you, not what you did to it, what you did with it. That <laughs> was a good point. <laughs> um, well, basically, the thing to, the, one of the things that we have to stress in the modern Druid movement is that we have, if we have any contact or any connection with the traditions of the ancient Druids, it's on a magical plane. Um, the Romans were very thorough. The Christians were even more thorough. And the last organized bodies of Druids that we know of um, went extinct around the 9th century when they tried and failed to keep the Picts from converting to Christianity. Um, were there scraps that remained? Yes. There was a whole range of legend and lore, stuff that was preserved in Wales in, the form, in, in you know, various changed forms in, the, in terms of the Mabinogion, stuff that was turned, saved in Wales and Brittany in the form of the Arthurian legends, a great deal of Irish and Scottish material, lots of folklore. Um, also, scraps of information uh, per, that was preserved in Greek and Roman authors. And these were the things that, in the, in, right around the end of the 17th century, started inspiring people in, in Britain, mostly at the, at the beginning, to turn their attention to the ancient Druids. It was a good time for that, because people were, get, people were getting over the, 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 very, the very savage religious quarrels of the, um, the Thirty Years' War and the English Civil War and all this kind of stuff, when um, you know, Episcopalians and Presbyterians were knifing each other in the streets over their religious differences. Yeah. And... It was it was a messy time. A lot of people were looking at that and saying, you know, a religion that does this has some problems. Maybe we should look at some alternatives. And also, of course, this was right around the beginning, the first stirrings of the Industrial Revolution. Um, a lot of people were looking at the the eager destruction of the environment that was already going on in Britain at that time. Um, the the um, coal mining, the coal burning, the first you know factory smokestacks coming into being, and looking at that and going, "Ick, this is you know something is very wrong here. Something is profoundly wow. wrong here." And so, a lot of these people in the very late 17th and and through the middle of the 18th centuries were just going, "There's got to be another option." Something, something other than either the dogmatic Christianity on the one hand that was so common those days, and the dogmatic scientific materialism that was just getting going. And some of them found their, the, the answer they were looking for in the scraps of lore that survived from the ancient Druids. And so we get the Druid revival out of that. We get the emergence of, a, of the first known for documented Druid traditions in Britain. Um, maybe... The, the, the claim within the tradition is that the first um, meeting of the first Druid organization in Britain happened in a London pub in 1717. Now, I, I tend to agree that with That sounds this. like about the same – wait, wait, wait. That sounds about like the same way Masonry got started. That, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> in, a London, been, <laughs> in, in a, a London pub. In a London pub. There we go. Yeah. Well, the thing and is, for the same reason too. But let me let me, let me go ahead, you, go ahead. you were talking about all of all of the civil war and and all of these all of this religious uh, bigotry and strife and everything. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons why masonry uh, was established. Mm -hmm. was, was so, where, so all these people could sit down together and 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 do business without you know, without having to to worry about mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. yeah, so so 
Yeah. So, so the so you're 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 saying that the, that this 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 druidic revival comes up the same time, at the same time as masonry. And it may have been inspired by that because um, it, it did happen the same year. And the tra- if if that's when it happened, again, this is a tradition. There are people looking for documentation. They haven't found it yet that I know of. But it was certainly around the same time. And the example of the Masons having gotten together and started the founded, of course, the first the first of the Grand Lodges um, was on a lot of people's minds. And so that may have been what got a bunch of druids to look at each other and say, you know, well, we could do this. And besides, it's a pub. We can order beer. This is actually surprisingly important. Most of the major events in British Druid history have taken place in a pub. That doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> because, <laughs> but but let me let me ask you though. Um, mm-hmm. uh, back up a little bit. Uh, we okay. know I know about. I, I remember uh, reading about uh, about the Romans um, burning up that library off the coast of Wales, mm-hmm. and they, and the last the last of the uh, supposedly the last of the Druid. Uh, scholars fought uh, fought the last man, and and then the Romans burned burned the library, almost like burning the library at Alexandria. Mm-hmm. And yet, you you said that there was another uh, there was another burning later on in the Christian uh, in, in the ninth well, century. Uh, not not so not so much a matter of burning, but remember the Romans never succeeded in conquering Scotland or Ireland, so both yeah. of those areas kept on having druids until quite some time later. Yeah. Right. And so, and they memorized, and they did. They did. They did memorize everything, right? Oh yeah, but yeah. Their, everything their had to, yeah, yeah. Everything. Well, everything according to the according to the record, the the classical records that we have, nothing religious, nothing spiritual or magical at all got written down. They were literate. They knew how to use Greek letters to write their own language, but you didn't write down the secrets of the druids, and yeah. so. So what happened was in Ireland they got elbowed out by the Christian by, by the Christians um, in the century or so after St. Patrick's time, um, say the fifth and sixth centuries A.D. And then Christian missionaries um, descended on what, what's now Scotland and was then Pictland, and the Picts gradually you know very there was all the usual kerfuffle. But it was in about the ninth century that the last Pictish kingdoms converted to Christianity, and at that point the Druids were out of luck. And, you know, there were, of course, the, the Christians' usual unfortunate uh, predilection for um, killing people who, who disagreed with them was always a, an option or was an issue in those days. And so, um, yeah, so as far as we know, the ninth century is, is when the last of them were running around. Um, there were bardic traditions, which probably include a lot of druid lore that survived in Scotland, in Wales, and in Ireland until quite a bit later. And there's there's a lot of speculation as to what might have leaked on through, because there were people in the early days of the Druid tradition who had connection with uh, certainly Irish and Bart and, and Welsh Bardic traditions, but you know again the documentation is very hard to come by and it's and of course you know as with everything these days a lot of embarrassing claims have been made by people who say oh sure this descends from the Stone Age when they made it up last night over th- over yeah uh, yeah pizza. Well, well, let me ask you this. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, cut my magical teeth on Ferraferia out here with Fred Adams. Oh, yeah, okay. And, and yeah. yeah, and 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 uh, in fact, I consider Fred my master. And mm-hmm. Fred uh, was a uh, the White Goddess was probably one of the major uh, works mm-hmm. that inspired Fred. And mm-hmm. he, Eleusinian Mysteries is what he wanted to recreate, the Cory mm-hmm. especially. And yet, uh, Graves, as you know, Graves, um, Graves 
saw a combination. He saw a connection between Greek mythology and 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 the Druids, and he 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 came up with that tree alphabet and and. Uh, quite a bit of that. Now, uh, are you uh, are, are you use are you still using that uh, tree alphabet that Graves came up with? Well, actually, yes, but not because I think it's historically accurate. Okay, I have no idea what. That, I mean, there's no trace of the tree. Uh, well, the alphabet, of course, is very ancient. The OM alphabet is very ancient. The calendar yeah. and the symbolism he put into it. Um, I would point out that one of the things we know about all the ancient Celtic peoples is that the utterances of an inspired poet had the force of scripture. And Graves was an inspired yeah. poet. We have his description of how the, the white goddess got written. He was he was working on a completely different project. And all of yeah. a sudden, this stuff started forcing its way into his mind. And he wrote, like what, a 40,000-word book in three weeks? Having written books that long, I, you know, longer still, I can tell you that's an immense amount of work in a very short time. So you know, he, he, was in, he was inspired. Here we have the utterances of an inspired poet. Why not use them? It's a good symbolism. It works. We don't have to worry about the historical thing. We just say, okay, well, you know, this was created by, by, by Robert Graves. He was inspired by a goddess. Okay, what's wrong with that? Well, I think I think that personally, I think Robert Graves is, you know, uh, has achieved uh, the status of a venerable. Um, uh, you know, well, he's dead now, naturally, and mm-hmm. that helps. Uh, well, yeah, that, okay. I, I, I think, yeah, he's an esoteric authority as far as I'm concerned. But then I think burn, burn incense uh, to the yeah. man. I, I have no problem with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah the uh, but I think that the, that that the the legends of the druids and mm-hmm. and I remember I went when I was when I was 16 years old. I went through my Celtic. Phase read the whole Mabinogion, or at least mm-hmm. as much as mm-hmm. I could get a hold of, and mm-hmm. I even memorized a, a, a Welsh triad, which, mm-hmm. believe it or not, I still I can still recite it. There you <laughs> it, go. It stuck stuck in my mind. Uh, and, mm-hmm. But the triads, Talisane, that that legendary uh, poet, uh, how how much of his uh, of the Druid lore do you think has survived in the in, in the triads and in and in Talisane's work? It's well, um, that of course the academics debate debate about that one. Um, I tend to think there's a fair amount. Um, I would say also that whatever the sources of the of the magical lore in the triads, whatever the sources of Taliesin's visions and the, and the stuff of the Mabinogi and all this kind of stuff, it makes great raw material for magical and spiritual practice. And, oh, yeah. and there again. You know what the historical thing is not the most important dimension. The important dimension is does it work? Um, I, yeah. I, I I sometimes get um, rather amused by the kind of people who insist that their magical traditions have to date back to the old Stone Age or what have you. But would they think of using a two-year-old computer? Not a chance. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. My my feeling is if it's if it's elegant and if it's romantic. Mm-hmm. And especially if it's ele- if it's elegant, it needs to be mm-hmm. elegant. I, 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 elegant. I, and and Graves is so elegant. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, uh, you know, now the Druids, uh, they one of the things I, I know we know about them is they were mm-hmm. they were adamant believers in reincarnation. Mm-hmm. And, to the point and, that actually all the Celts were to the point that you could take out a loan 
with with the Celtic guy and and promise to pay him back in your next incarnation, and he take the IOU. I was, tell, I was telling I was telling Lauren tonight about that at dinner. Mm-hmm. We were talking about. It. I said, Yeah, you could you could pay off your debt if you see <laughs> your next incarnation. Yeah, they, they 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 were adamant believers in this, and and um, and yet. Uh, I won't mention his name, but we had a, 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 a fellow that you would immediately recognize if I told you who he was. Uh, and one time we were on a TV show, and he mm-hmm. was the Druid. He was supposedly mm-hmm. the Reformed Druid, you know. And and uh, um, uh, Tom Snyder asked me, "Well, what do you folks believe in?" You know, in an afterlife, and and I and I, you know, had. Yet um, uh, Fitch, or Fitch was sitting there, and 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 we and and myself and Fred Adams and 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 and, and I said, well, I think I think most of us believe in in reincarnation. And here mm-hmm. the, here the druid the druid turns around and says, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the one thing we really are sure of that you're that he did book. So, so your 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 druidic tradition definitely. Uh, believes in and, and uh, yeah, holds some forth on that, right? Well, we, we 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 certainly teach it. One of the things about the specific the the order that I had, the ancient order of druids in America, is that we don't put a lot of stress on belief. Okay, everybody has opinions, right? And th- there are things that we teach that we expect people to study and meditate on, but we're not going to tell them what opinions to hold. But first of all, that doesn't work. Second of all, one of the basic principles of the Druid Revival since 1717 is that if you ask a question to three Druids, you'll get at least five different answers. Um, diversity, we have it. And and so certainly, you know, we teach that that's part of the traditional lore. Um, it's something that that deserves study and attention, and there's there's a specific a specific theory, a specific traditional theory of the way that um, that rebirth, that reincarnation works in the process of spiritual advancement from life to life that you get in the writings of Yola Morganu, who's another hot potato we can discuss. But I personally believe in it. But, you know, different druids have different opinions, and we don't really worry about, you know, who believes what. It's um, Do you get along well with others, and do you actually do the studies and the practices? Yeah. So, so now, your magic, though, it... it, it um, I would have, I would have, I would assume, now, you know, mm-hmm. you know, being uh, based upon what I've experienced with Fred Adams and and all, I would assume that you're here and also looking over your your uh, output and various books mm-hmm. you've written, that you're very much concerned with uh, with nature and with mm-hmm. uh, with uh, with ecology and with the seasons mm-hmm. and with with herbs and 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 and, and mm-hmm. forestry and all of that. I would assume that that would have a large part of yeah. what you're doing, right? Oh yeah. Well, that's 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 part of the basic the basic approach to being a druid, as far as again in, in within the traditions that I work with. As far as magic is concerned, though, I, I have kind of an odd background in all this because I came to druidry after almost 20 years of intensive study in the Golden Dawn. Yeah. And, you know, I was a, I was a hardcore ceremonial magician. And so my personal style in magic tends to involve a lot of ceremonial work. And that was, you know, that 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 kind of filtered over the the particular the AODA, the Ancient Order of Druids in America, that I ended up head of more or less by accident, um, had a relatively ceremonial heavy tradition. And then the book that I most recently wrote, The Celtic Golden Dawn, is about some people that took. It's based on the work of people who took that considerably further. It's a very ceremonial, very you know, very formal ritual magical tradition that still uses druid 
traditions, Druid teachings, Welsh Welsh lore, and things like that. Um, which which is kind of an odd well, mix for many people, but it works for me. Well, now, now let me ask you though uh, uh, about that because mm-hmm. the Golden Dawn, uh, as we know, uh, is mm-hmm. is uh, uses a lot of Zohar and uses a lot of uh, uh, and Egyptian god forms, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so as a sort of a, you, you might say that the uh, and of course then there's an Okian. And, and <laughs> there is indeed. <laughs> and how are you? There is an Yeah. And and so how do we? How do we? What do we do? Uh, well, you, well, I would just let me say, for example, if, if I were going to, and, and I'm not the, the one to do it, but I mean, if I were going to 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 do a Druidic Golden Dawn, I would substitute Celtic god um, and goddess forms for Egyptian, mm-hmm. and whereas the Golden Dawn does. Uh, and then I would, uh, and then I would probably um, uh, uh, use something like Graves Tree Alphabet instead of, uh, and 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 have his 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 version of that Greek uh, mm-hmm. Kabbalah. I'd probably use that instead of of, of the Zoharic Kabbalah, and mm-hmm. then I would try to then I would try to sort of structure it. Uh, the rest of it, initiatory, using a Masonic framework like the Golden Dawn did. Now, is that pretty much what you did? Well, to a, to a certain extent. It was a little more complex than that because I wasn't simply starting from first principles here. It so happened that when the Golden Dawn blew sky high in the beginning of the 20th century, there were a yeah. lot of refugees, basically, from the explosions. And at that time, the Druid scene in Britain was was very active but also relatively calm. There was not a lot of politics. Things were not really ugly as they were in the Golden Dawn and its successor groups. And so a lot of people ended up bailing into the Druid scene from the Golden Dawn, bringing all their techniques with them. And so you had these organizations emerging in the 1910s, 1920s, and 1930s in Britain, like the Kabbalistic Order of Druids and the Ancient Order of Druid Hermetists and so on, who were doing these various kinds of fusion. Of the of, of golden dawn technique and druid symbolism. Now, it so happens, you see, that after I became Grand Archdruid of AODA, various people that there had been some political troubles in the order long before I joined, and various people had bailed out. And then after I became Grand Archdruid, people started sending me stuff saying, "You're you're in the big you're in the hot seat now. You should have this." And I got some of the weirdest things in the mail. There was a period about two years now where I was almost afraid to go down to the P.O. box because you had no idea. One time, we ended up getting this cardboard box, a liquor box, stuffed with an old correspondence course from a scene order. Why did we get it? I don't know to this day. But we got 150 plus in correspondence course from an scene order that nobody else has ever heard of. But it was you know, definitely... Um, mimeographed um, 19, um, 1940s through 1960s era. Um, but we got all kinds of stuff. But one of the things that I got at that time were fragmentary papers from two of these Druid Golden Dawn fusion groups. Not enough to work with, really, but enough to give the idea. And so I started working with the Golden Dawn techniques, Golden Dawn ritual methods and so on, and with ideas from the broader Druid scene and with these scraps of lore that I got, and it sort of fused it all together to make the, the system that's taught in the Celtic Golden Dawn. Yeah, well, you know, um, uh, uh, the Golden Dawn had an aversion to conjuration devices 
as a result of their anti anti hypnotic um, thing mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we we all know the reasons for that because of the, mm-hmm. the mesmerists um mm-hmm. were having a field day uh terrifying people on stage during that during that time and 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 so they the golden dawn had an aversion even though Hockley was a great mm-hmm. a great crystal ball uh, magician mm-hmm. and all mm-hmm. that. But the Golden Dawn had an aversion to using conjuration devices. Mm-hmm. And using so, crystal balls, uh, mirrors, so on. Yeah, yeah crystal balls, mirrors, and all of the, uh, the kind of items that we we well we use anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the, and what what the Renaissance magicians were using. So mm-hmm. when you say Golden Dawn technique, um, mm-hmm. uh, I'm I'm I, I think I know what you mean, but but mm-hmm. but I don't. I'm not sure the rest of us do. Now, what would you okay. what, what Give us an example of Golden Dawn technique that you're, I that can, you're using. I can, certain, I can certainly run through that. Um, the ritual techniques of the Golden Dawn involve a lot of, um, of course, tracing pentagrams and other lineal figures, um, ritual structures like the pentagram ritual, um, purifications with water, consecrations with fire, the various sort of ritual structures you expect in a Golden Dawn setting, um, the use of the imagination rather than conjuration devices, as in scrying in the spirit vision, as in path working and so on, is a very important part of Golden Dawn technique. The, um, oh, let's see, um, sir, the structure of, of, the, of consecration rituals where you start from the highest spiritual power and sort of cascade downward in the invocations, and a variety of other things like that. Um, we don't use conjuration devices in, in the in the Celtic Golden Dawn. I didn't put those in for actually a very a, a very specific reason. I'm no good at them. Some people are talented with that. Some people aren't. I'm not. And I've never had much luck. I've worked with crystal balls. I've worked with magic mirrors. I've never had much success. But I'm really good at scrying in the spirit vision. So I just and. and one of the rules that I always use in, in writing my books on magic is that if it's in one of my books, I've done it. I've worked through the whole system. And so I don't put things into my books that you know that I don't have at least some experience with. I put, I put magic mirrors into my book, Circles of Power, actually, because I had been doing some intensive work at that time and getting some results, not, not very good ones, though. And so I ended up kind of setting that aside and going back to what I'd learned in The Golden Dawn. So that's, that's basically... That's basically the yeah. the excuse, if you will, for the lack of magic well, mirrors. Uh, no, we I'm know not, that the druids it. used things like that. You know, it's just that the the or some of them did. It's just that the um, Celtic Golden Dawn doesn't happen to take that to that path. Well, that that reflects, of course, the Victorian uh, uh, way of doing it, and that's when the mm-hmm. druids uh, when when the druids were quite active. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we we've all seen I, we've all seen. Uh, the early ceremony at Stonehenge that, that the mm-hmm. British uh, British Druids put on, and mm-hmm. and they're very you know that that wow I guess that's been going on ever since the days of the Golden Dawn. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Been, yeah, yeah. And are you are you affiliated with uh, with them in any way, or do you have well, reciprocity for them or something? The, these now these days the various the British the British Druid scene is very fragmented. 20 different Druid orders that I know of in Britain right now, um, with various origins and so on. Um, I'm on very good terms with the Order of Bards, Ovates, and Druids. Um, that's, I think, though, these days the largest of the Druid orders, um, headed by Philip Cargon. And actually, I, I, my original exposure to Druidry was by, their, by way of their course, and I'm still a member of good standing. Um, and... The other the other druid groups I haven't had any particular um, close connections with, but I'm sure we'll all get along. You know, I yeah, do, you, you, you're, I, I, I mentioned uh, the order of 1734. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, that's 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 what it was called over here in this country, and over mm-hmm. there it's referred to as the as the clan of Tubal Cain, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I think it's still going uh, over in England. I, I know we have so, yeah. a it, it mushroomed all over the place here in in, uh, in, in the United States. And I don't it, like so uh, much else. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I like so much else. Yeah, right. But 1734 uh, is a Robert Graves based. Uh, um, mm-hmm. Well, I, 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 they they call it witchcraft, uh, but I don't. I'm not sure. It's so sure that it did. It it really qualifies as that. But but mm-hmm. that did, But it is. It, and and Roy Bowers was kind of a you know kind of a, a, a mad genius. Uh, put the thing together. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, as far as their techniques are concerned, uh, mm-hmm. they they what they'll do, uh, and I don't think I'm broaching any secrets at, at this point, seeing as how Ann Penn has published a book on it. Uh, what they <laughs> what they do their big their 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 big ritual is uh, seasonals. They'll have uh, they'll have a um, one of their members will assume the god form or goddess mm-hmm. form. And then they will all line up out there in the in the wilderness where they have their mm-hmm. ceremony, and they will all go up and have their audience with uh, with the god or the goddess. And of course, mm-hmm. what the member does this uh, is is they meditate all day out there in the in the mm-hmm. woods, and mm-hmm. until they actually assume the, the the form of the of the goddess. And mm-hmm. do you do you folks do anything like that? Um, not really. No, that's. I mean, that that's that kind of deity possession is something that's done in some traditions and not in others. Um, I haven't. Re- I, I haven't really found it that useful, magically speaking. And it has certain potential drawbacks in that people who do it too much tend to get ego problems, unless, unless they're very careful. Yes, you, you've I, probably I, seen I, that one. You, don't, don't, you, you really don't want. You, you really don't like it when you get up there in front of the god or the goddess, and they start telling you about your personal failings, which they on their mundane side already know mm-hmm. about. <laughs> <laughs> That's not that that that. that, that. Yeah, right. we, 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 it, yeah, we call we call that we, when whenever we you do a you know crystal ball thing and you have various mm-hmm. people channeling and they mm-hmm. start doing that we we call that politicking on the ball. You know, and that's <laughs> something. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those things that happens. Oh, and, yeah, I know this is one of the problems with with with, with the whole visionary thing. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. when you start doing, you you really really have to have. Have a good sense of humor and 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 hold some of these people, really hold them in check. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, but so you're 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 avoiding some of those problems with with what uh, with, their, with the uh, the new druidic uh, idea or, or well, concept. that's the hope. That's the hope. Um, it's I mean the thing is every kind of spirituality is going to have its standard problems. And every you know every kind of spirituality because it's human it's human beings who are practicing it it's going to have the usual human failings and I, I um, Isaac Bonowitz was um, I think at his most inspired when he he proclaimed the the doctrine of archdruidic fallibility which is that archdruids are totally capable of making mistakes. Well. Uh, I yeah. didn't mention his name, but now you. <laughs> he was the one. So, there was. A, I said, "Well, I think most of us." He said, "I don't." <laughs> he oh, was he? Was he the one? Oh, funny. 
I, I use a lot. Yeah. That, that sounds like Isaac. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, uh, but um, uh, you know, I, I really though I have a I have such a such a a, a, a warm spot in my heart for this this the whole Celtic. Uh, uh, tradition, of course, especially after Ferraferia in seventeen thirty four and 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 my experience as a kid reading the Memonogian and all. Mm-hmm. Uh I think the Celtic the Celtic pantheon mm-hmm. is really, really uh, uh powerful and effective. And mm-hmm. and I've been thinking in the, along the line, I don't know, I'm gonna run this by you and see what you think. Uh when when with the Hermetic Kabbalah Mm-hmm. And this is Golden Dawn too. Even though they're, if they get as close to the Zohar, almost mm-hmm. they get almost the Golden Dawn gets almost close, close enough to the Zohar, almost not to be Hermetic, mm-hmm. and yet, yeah, yet, uh, yet they and yet still are able. Yeah, yeah, it's there because they put Egyptian god forms in the mm-hmm. Azura, and mm-hmm. they and they do, and and they have mm-hmm. Egyptian god forms for the for the uh, various spears, and mm-hmm. I'm just. Uh, and we, as you may know, we've developed a, uh, an extended middle pillar uh, mm-hmm. system where we put Phoenician god forms on in the, in the ah, okay, now, that, that Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, but what I was wondering is, what? how about if you got a golden dawn, Mm-hmm. Uh, a Celtic golden dawn. Why not put Celtic god forms in the Azura on the tree we're of already, life? We're already there. We're already there. Ah, the tree of, um, the tree ah, of life ah. has given in the Celtic golden dawn. The, the ten spheres have Welsh names drawn from the old from, from old Druid tradition, and there there are god forms from the Welsh Druid tradition assigned to each of the spheres. There are na- those are the names you in, you vibrate while doing the middle pillar exercise, and so on. Oh yeah. We were not oh, going to miss that one. More about, now you have you have you have you've made my whole uh, month here with that one because I've been wanting, I, I have been wanting so much for mm-hmm. this this uh, for this Western chakra system to to take hold and for us mm-hmm. to go ahead and and use the use it for the various traditions like this. Something mm-hmm. I've been I've been trying to you know ask people to do and and, and all mm-hmm. that. And I'm told, oh boy, I am uh, you you really that that's wonderful. And I'm that, to hear that. Yeah. We can make we can make the tree of life universal. In fact, that's one of my upcoming projects. The the book The Celtic Golden Dawn came out this fall and its sales have been quite reasonable. And so I'm going to be, I'm talking to Llewellyn, Llewellyn's the publisher. Uh I've been talking to them about the possibility of a sequel which will be called The Druid's Kabbalah. And it's going to be um the tree of life and a range of things connected to it approached from a from within the sort of druid magic that I'm teaching in this book. Now, there's going to be a lot of traditional types who are going to scream bloody blue murder, but then they're going to scream anyway, so I don't really worry about that. Oh, they will. You know, any time you do something as original and as creative as this, you can figure that, that, that the, the magical curmudgeons of which we have, oh, they're they're in the woodwork, you know. I mean, the magical curmudgeons, and and they come after you, and and uh, so so uh, you know I. Uh, I, I, but what I'm so pleased to, to, to hear that you're doing that. that that's just that's well, wonderful, and okay. and uh, so you you uh, because you know this, this gives us a dimension that the Western uh, tradition just didn't have for so long, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and uh, it gives them to be able to internalize 
these these God forms, goddess forms. Mm-hmm. It's just really this is this is this is just as wonderful. Um, oh, so, that, uh, tell me um, uh, now, um, how does well, we, well, we know how to get your book. You go on Amazon, and, and you one-click, mm-hmm. if you can, one-click, and one-click uh, uh, Celtic Golden Dawn and, mm-hmm. and and anything else by you that strikes their fancy. There, there's, and, there's quite a few and, books with my name on them. So, yeah, by all the by the whole well, uh, day. <laughs> <laughs> you're, really, you're, you're doing it. Now, uh, the other thing, though, is uh, how does one... Uh, for those that are interested, how does one join your your uh, your tradition? Okay. How does one, uh, okay. Okay. Now here, yeah. here's 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 the complexity. Um, I, at this point, I'm kind of by accident in charge of two different Druid traditions. There's the AODA, the Ancient Order of Druids in America, which mm-hmm. is the one that I, as I say, I became Grand Arch Druid more or less by accident in 2003. And you can get to, to their website. It's www.aoda.org. Okay? And okay. that that gives access to um, – we've got a Frequently Asked Questions page. We've got articles. We've got all the necessary stuff. It's you know It's a – it's a modestly successful, not hugely large. Um, I mean, we've got fewer than a thousand members, kind of druid order, and it's just it's we're, we're chugging along, teaching the the because the AODA has been around for a while. Um, it was founded in 1912, and it yeah. was chartered by a British group that was founded in 1874 that got its stuff from Wales, and we don't know how far back that goes. So it's very much a traditional kind of old-fashioned. Um, some people call it stodgy. I call it interesting. Uh, <laughs> But well, so there's that. There's that nostalgic. on the one hand. Nostalgic. <laughs> no, yeah, it's nostalgic. Yeah. <laughs> but, oh, but well, also, that's great. Now, now, re- repeat so there's that. that. Repeat that website. That that you that website again, so we we get it. Okay, that's that's for those www. That pencil, for, those that, for those that have pencils, who can write. Yeah, there we go. Okay. www.aoda.org. Ah, that's it. That's easy enough. That's easy now, enough. Yeah. Um, I was a lucky man. Now, then there's then there's what happened when I published the Celtic Golden Dawn, the book that we've just been talking about, because AODA has its own magical system, which I didn't come up with. I inherited that, and that's actually been written about in my books, the Druidry Handbook and the Druid Magic Handbook, which are from Weiser. Um, the Celtic Golden Dawn, as I, as I put this thing together, people started expressing some interest in that, and so there is actually a very quiet organization um, for people who are practicing that system. Now, I'm not going to hand out the website for that because the thing to do there is get the book. If you're interested in doing this, you know, check it out from the library or read it at, a, at your favorite occult bookstore or what have you. Um, read the book and see if the, if the teachings and the practices actually appeal to you. And then um, if you look in the back of the book, um, you'll find an email, a, a website address. Well, that sounds like a good plan. Uh, quite often, you know, and we get we get looky loos who think they're interested in something, and and they're really not. But they're they you know they're they're not people that are going to actually um, stick with it and and, and get into it. Yeah. So I think you're right. Now, yeah. um, I'll, I'll, I'd like to to mm-hmm. while we we're thinking about it uh, and while we're on the subject. Now, mm-hmm. I mentioned that that Robert Graves um, had this. Uh, this uh, sort of a uh, well, he called it the analytic method. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were 
where he would uh, almost go into trance and write these mm-hmm. uh, these things mm-hmm. be inspired and uh, and come to conclusions that that uh, more conservative academics disagreed with and what have you but <laughs> but they seem to the seem right to it. yeah and see yeah it seemed to seem to seem to Robert Graves a good idea at the time but he was he was convinced mm-hmm. that. There was a direct line of of connection mm-hmm. between Phoenicia, mm-hmm. between the Phoenicians, the Greeks, uh, the the Celtic, the the the, the Celtic especially, and mm-hmm. even the Nordic, because mm-hmm. he even he even pointed out at one time that that there were aspects in Beowulf that that, mm-hmm. that related to to. Uh, in fact, he even thought that. The male wolves, uh, uh, Gottlanders were, were were the same as the Greek Achaeans, uh, as I recall. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, he would, he would, yeah, how great would yeah he come up with these things? He, but, I uh, see, yeah, yeah, but but however, and sometimes it was pretty pretty far fetched. But but mm-hmm. then on the other hand, uh, his connection between. The Eleusinian mysteries and 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 mm-hmm. and what we what we've been referring to as the Druidic uh, mm-hmm. mysteries or tradition is mm-hmm. uh, was a very very uh, uh, large part of that book. Mm-hmm. I would think that the the, the the white goddess was was more more Celtic. And mm-hmm. It was just as much Celtic as it was Greek, and and, and he mm-hmm. seemed to interchange the two. Now, do you do you think that I I kind of have a feeling that 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 those those druids mm-hmm. that the higher echelons of them, I, I I think they were, I think personally that they were literate, and I think that they they mm-hmm. probably read Greek. And probably and, and could have, uh, uh, or if they didn't read Greek, they at least they at least were aware of of, of the connection. And would you, would you agree with that, or do you think I'm, I'm no? Uh, I think I think Graves was onto something, although because he was using you know he was using trance methods to get his information yeah, as yeah, usual. Yeah. When you do trance methods, you may get some fascinating stuff, but most people usually get it by the wrong end. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so now I, there, there's there's a really fascinating book by Nora Chadwick, who was a, a very important academic, um, a study a student of the Celtic of, of Celtic traditions and so on, whose books are I think still considered quite reasonable. Her book, The Druids, argued that the, 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 okay, let me let me step back here a moment. What we know of as Greek philosophy whether it's the Pythagoreans, the Eleatics, all of the things, all the, the, the pre-Socratic, all the stuff before the time of Socrates. The Orphic, the, yeah, the Orphic. Yeah, the Orphic yeah. and so on. That was as much, that, that was actually as much to be found in the Greek colonies in southern Italy and points further west as it was to be found in, Greek, in Greece itself. Um, Pythagoras lived in a town in Italy. Okay, it was a Greek mm-hmm. colony. Yeah. They worshipped the Greek gods. They spoke Greek in the streets. It was, but but it was, um, it wasn't in Greece. It was in Italy, and the most impo- the most economically important of all these colonies was the town of Massilia, which we now call Marseille, in what's now southern France, and was then on the southern coast of Gaul. Okay, which was a Celtic country, which was full of crawling with druids. Okay. Yeah. Now Chadwick argued 
And she had some very good arguments, although she's been ignored on this ever since. Chadwick argued that what the Druids were doing was their equivalent of Greek philosophy, that there was actually a band of, a band of continuity that was connecting what was going on with the Greeks and what was going on in these Greek colonies in southern, in, in southern Italy and in, in Marseille and so on, with what the Celts were doing, what the Druids were doing. And it was all kind of one continuum through which ideas were being tossed back and forth. Now, again, as I say, the, 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 most of the academics have ignored this theory, but it explains a lot about the, about the scraps of information we know about the ancient Druids. And I'm tempted to think there may be something to it. Well, you you got that. That's a book I want to I want to get now. What was the name mm-hmm. of it again? Uh, it's what just it? titled The Druids. Uh, you ever notice almost all the books on the Druids are just called the Druids? Yeah. Um, but the yeah. author is no, the author is Nora Chadwick. Yeah. Nora Chadwick. Okay. Nora Chadwick. Now you know what yeah. the, you know what this does though. This 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 gets close to the to the horrible A word. And I love the A. Now, now, now don't get me wrong. Which A I, word I, did I, you have I, in mind? <laughs> the A word, the A word that gets you thrown out of an anthropology graduate program. And unfortunately, I didn't utter the A word, so I got a master's in anthropology. The uh-huh. A word is Atlantis. <laughs> <laughs> That's the A that word. That will get you. You don't want to say the A word. Ocean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do. You don't. Yeah, no, whatever. But you, you don't. You can. You can talk about. You can talk about the maritime culture. You can talk about. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you, you can talk about anything, but don't ever say the A don't word. Don't mention but Atlantis. John Michel, I know you read John Michel's view of Oh Atlantis. yeah. Oh good heavens yeah. Oh sure. And 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 all those huge earthworks in mm-hmm. in southern Britain, uh, mm-hmm. and and we know the chamber tombs. As you go down toward the coast in France and Spain, the chamber tombs get uh, more of them and, and more mm-hmm. of it. And, 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 I, I, and, of course, Malta with the hypogeum and, and mm-hmm. that whole Minoan, that mystery of the Minoan culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think mm-hmm. myself that... that Atlantis was very real and off the southern coast of England and into Spain and that area. And, hmm. and it, it, it was a prototype of the Minoans. That's what I think hmm. personally. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, that's and, uh, Yeah, and that would have because, a connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would connect all the way into uh, mm-hmm. the, the southern France area, which, as mm-hmm. you know, in, in the early Middle Ages, Southern mm-hmm. France, even in what we call the Dark Ages, Southern France was a very civilized area. Mm-hmm. And you know, Languedoc, uh, and that, that's uh, where the Cathars and the and the Troubadours mm-hmm. uh, were. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, the uh, the the um, that uh, um, uh, that whole the connection. Uh, I, I, I I think that. That, that that there there may be some connection between the very ancient um, mm-hmm. artifacts that we have in, in Britain, southern Britain, and, and all, even before the Druids. I mean, there, you know, mm-hmm. everyone says the stone Stonehenge was built way before the Druids, supposedly. Well, but, that, but no, yet, I'll, I'll get to that in a moment because that's a, that's another point yeah, we're yeah. talking about. But yeah. 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 Um, so well, well, let's on. talk about Stonehenge and that. Let's talk about that culture. That supposedly preceded the Druids. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that uh, and they even preceded the Celts because I guess mm-hmm. the Celts, Celts, uh, 
uh, how how Aboriginal the pigs were uh, is um, you know I, I, even hey, even the pigs question. I think yeah yeah how mm-hmm. how Aboriginal were the pigs uh, but uh, there is a there is a connection apparently mm-hmm. there there's a connection here between um, between uh, the, the ancients mm-hmm. pre Druidic mm-hmm. culture. And 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 the and the druidic lore, whether that connection is is, is spiritual or implied or or later projected or whatever. What do you think about that? Well, no, to, it, it it was very popular for some years in the middle 20th century for archaeologists to insist at the top of their lungs that the druids had nothing to do with Stonehenge. And the reason they were doing it, of course, is that um, the modern druids were, of course, celebrating every midsummer sunrise at Stonehenge, and the archaeologists. Um, we're kind of trying to elbow them out of the way. Nobody knows when Druidry got started in Britain. Nobody knows. It, it really is that simple. We don't know when the Celtic languages arrived in Britain. We don't know. We know that there were certain changes in tool types and material culture, styles of swords and things like that, that might that, that paralleled the expansion of certain ideas that, that are certain practices that are considered to be related to the historical Celts, and it really is that vague. And so nobody knows. Maybe the Celts came charging ashore the way that the uh, you know the the, the the Anglo-Saxons or the Normans did so many years later, um, and took over the thing and replaced the ancient um, the the older people who were there beforehand, and maybe it was just that certain ideas and traditions and, and linguistic habits drifted gradually across the channel. Nobody knows. Um, what we do know is that all of the Greek and Roman writers, or many of them, used to say that the um, the ancient Druids were really hot into astronomy. They studied the movement of the stars and the planets, and they had all of this careful knowledge about this that they taught to their students. And well, Stonehenge is pretty clearly about um, the movement of the sun and the moon and various other things in the sky. Furthermore, Julius Caesar says that Druidism was invented in Britain. It did not come from the Celtic homelands in Central Europe. It came from Britain. He says that. And nobody, no, actually some of the Irish texts say that too, that, you know, Irish Druids who really wanted to get to the top of their form in the really ancient times would go over to Britain to study. And so the possibility that, of course, that nobody wants to talk about is that there was some survival of the, the traditions that were involved in the building of Stonehenge, because clearly there was somebody in those days who understood some basic mathematics, geometry, sure, astronomy, yeah. things like that. You know, you don't build a stone circle without having a grasp of astronomy and, and of geometry. And so there but may have been... Up, uh, wait, 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 wait. Uh, hang yeah, on. Yeah, go ahead, hold go that ahead. thought for just a second, because you're going to ask holding. you something. This I'm what, what the If they are... And you're right. And and, and, and they have this astronom- astronomical and, and, well, we could also say astrological knowledge. Mm-hmm. If they Very had likely. it, then they... they I would... Uh, we would naturally assume that they were to some degree literate. That... Well, actually, maybe yes. Maybe no. We know from that there are other societies out there, um, other mm-hmm. traditional societies, tribal societies, where they have mm-hmm. where people have handed down extraordinarily complex bodies of lore in memorized form, in oral tradition. Yeah. And usually they do it. In, yeah. Usually they do it in the form of mythology because if you can tell something as a really rousing story, nobody's going to forget yeah. it. But so. Were they literate? We don't know. 
did they perhaps use some kind of proto-writing, like the Inca, the way the Incas used to use the knotted cords, the quipu, which is kind of mm-hmm. not quite not quite yeah. writing? We don't know. Nobody How old knows. do you think Ogum? How old is Ogum? Uh, nobody has the least idea. <laughs> um, the first traces yeah. that I know of are about the 2nd century A.D., maybe, except there's some, no, aren't there some wooden ones from much further back? The stone, the Ogum stones that you find in Ireland. I think I think it's like the second century AD is the oldest ones. But that may just have been the point at which it stopped being a secret of the Druids. Nobody knows. It is, yep. it is one of the world's two weirdest writing systems in some ways because yeah. unlike any – all the other alphabets are just kind of a straight line. Um, Oum and runes are divided up into groups. You've got your you know, your, your Aikme, your five groups of five in Oum. In um, the Elder Fodark, you have your three groups of eight, and they all they have. There are some there are some structural similarities there that suggest there's some perhaps much older influence that inspired both of them, but nobody knows. Yeah, I I think that that we 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 intuit, mm-hmm. and I believe you do also. We intuit a very very ancient origin for this, mm-hmm. and we intuit yes we intuit it. And and uh, and I think you're right. I I, I personally feel, yeah, but you're, you're you're dug into this much much deeper than I have. But but from my uh, what I've read and from what I feel and from mm-hmm. what I sense that that druidism has, however it may have evolved, is very 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 ancient. There's something there that feels like it goes back a very, very long ways. That's about as well as I can quantify it. But there's yeah. something that feels very primal in all of this, despite the fact that we're working with traditions that, as far as we know, had to be reassembled from scraps in the 18th and 19th centuries. Yeah, yeah, I think you're you're absolutely right. And uh, uh, well, uh, we're just about uh, out of time, and and uh, I want to thank you so much for for coming on board and and, and uh, giving us this fascinating, fascinating look at at a tradition that we we all should should whether we whether we want to make it our main tradition or not, this is something that everyone involved in Western magic should certainly be well, thank you. Be I, I really appreciate you being being on. I mean, this is this you know this has been a lot of fun. Well, I can't tell you the truth. I I haven't uh, you know I, I I ordered your book. I haven't gotten it yet, but boy, I'm sure gonna gonna read it, and and I'm and I know I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna learn a lot. Uh, John, thank you so much, and and uh, and uh, we'll uh, we'll look forward to your next one. And and, uh, and uh, here again, um, I don't know what 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 would be a good druid a druid uh, not Ergo Bra, of course. But what, what would we say? What 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 what, what would a druid say to to honor you as a, to farewell? Uh, oh, probably, just, why don't we go have a beer? <laughs> oh yeah, that, 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 that's 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 what I like. Yeah. There, that'll and, be my uh, critical okay, greeting. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Lauren just reminded me. What is your website again? Okay, the the website of the of the of the ancient order of druids in America. The order. Well, the, that the I, website the, that you want. The website that you want us to to. to yeah, that'll that be www.aoda.org. That's, That's it. it. And mm-hmm. we'll check it out. 
And thank you so much, Maestro. I really appreciate it. And we'll have you on again, hopefully. Thank you. I'll look forward to that. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Well, next week, uh, next week we will get into the Red Dwarf. And uh, and I think you're going to find it that fascinating. But we certainly, uh, the opportunity to have John Michael Greer on was really wonderful. Anyway, uh, so next week, I have a, have a great holiday season, and uh, next next Thursday, Thursday isn't Christmas, is it, Sandra? Uh, next Thursday? Let's see. Uh, today's the 19th. That's the 29th. No, 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 we're okay. Uh, so next week, we'll we'll see you, and we'll have Tales of the Red Dwarf, who writes with his tail, and uh, we'll see you then. And meanwhile, happy holidays and good magic. <laughs>